All right, let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter um, 1. Second Chronicles chapter 1. And we're in uh, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> we read that Solomon went up to Gibeon to make give offerings unto the Lord. That's where the tabernacle was. That's where the brazen altar of Moses was. And um, so <clears throat> here we read the tabernacle of the congregation, the Ark of the Covenant were in two different places. The tabernacle was at Gibeon and the Ark was in Jerusalem. If you remember, the Ark and the tabernacle at one time were both in Gibeon, but in the days of Eli, or they were at Shiloh, I'm sorry, but then in the days of Eli, the ark was taken by the Philistines and then returned to Israel. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I think I have a chart here showing the journeys of the ark. Let me see if I can find it. Um, here it is. All right. And by the way, um, <clears throat> I am uh, I'm looking into like when we do our broadcasts, it's very hard to see the overhead. I mean, the guys up in the sound room do a good job, but the the camera's 50 feet away. They're trying to zoom in to the screen, and people online don't get to see the the screen. Uh, and by the way, what's interesting is that the most people that are online watching our videos are watching our Through the Bible study. And so I would like them to be able, and they're, they're not just in this area. They're pretty far out. There's people from all over that are interested in a Through the Bible study. And maybe what they do is they, they're, they're coming across some passages that are hard to understand. And so they find out I'm preaching on that passage. And so they look it up. So I'd like them to be able to see this chart. So I talked to um, uh, Mag Mike Magden, and there is a little box that could split the signal to go from here up to the sound room and what they could do on the camera, they could actually bring up from my computer right on the screen. So I'm asking him to give us a price on that, and I'll let you know what, what we come up with. But uh, that would be a very, and by the way, that, that also would give the ability to put extra cameras up, which we're not going to do right now. Those cameras are very expensive. I'm hoping, uh, like, we put cameras up and they could turn the cameras at different angles and get to see you guys, you know, and all that stuff. But uh, uh, we're not going to do that right now. But uh, uh, that's a potential. That's something that can be done. And But the thing, main thing I want to do is be able to let people see this projector. It's so hard to see it. But then they would be able to see it crystal clear. But anyway, here's a... Here, when uh, the children of Israel came into the promised land, they first brought the Ark of the Covenant to Gilgal, and you see Gilgal right here, right? They came across the Jordan, 
Um, over here is the Jordan. What happened here? Okay, there it is. Um, so they came across the Jordan. They came to Gilgal. And then it doesn't really give all the details, but for some reason in the days of the judges, they moved the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant to Shiloh. And they were both in one place. They, when there was a battle with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas at Ebenezer, they thought by taking the Ark of the Covenant to the battle that that would save them. Now, folks, look at, you know, if you want God's blessing, you got to be living right before you try to pray a Hail Mary prayer. Amen? You know, people, people use uh, the Bible, they use the prayer like a, a, a rabbit's foot. You know what I'm saying? They're going to now all of a sudden, they've been not living for God. Now they're going to call on God and they expect God to do something. You know, and it reminds me of a guy one time, his wife ran off on him. And uh, so he showed up at church and I asked him how he's doing. And he began to tell me a story. His wife left him. And, you know, so I went and visited him. And he's, he said, if God gives me back my wife, I'm going to be in church every Sunday. Well, you know, it's funny how we try to tell, make bargains with God for things we should already be doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As if you're doing a fa God a favor by being in church every Sunday. So I said to him, I said, you know, he told me the story of his wife. I said, sounds like he, she's got another man. He goes, oh, no, no, no. She's just going through the change of life, you know. I said, well, sounds like to me she's got another man. Change of man. <laughs> Not a change of life, but a change of man. Well, anyway, he came to church faithfully for about three weeks and then went to visit him. And he said, uh, said well, found out my wife was in up with another man. You know, that was the last week he came to church. Yeah. So you know what? We use God like a good luck charm. Yeah. A, a, ra a, a rabbit's foot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, so anyway, they took the Ark of the Covenant to this battle as if having the Ark of the Covenant at the battle was going to help, was going to save them. Well, it didn't do a thing, except they lost the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines and they took it all the way to Ashdod. And when they were, you know, they put it in the house of their God. And when they did so, their God, when they came in the morning, and um, I forget the name of the God. Was it Rimmon? I can't remember. Magog? Dagon. Dagon. Dagon, that's right. When Dagon, in the morning, they went to the temple of Dagon, and Dagon was prostrate on his face, and his, you know, and they, well, they picked the God back up, and the next day, when they went there, he was down on the ground again, but his, his hands were cut off, and his feet were cut off, you know, uh, anyway, and then after a while, they all got sick and God st struck them with sickness. And so then they took the ark to Gath and the same thing happened there. And then all of a sudden, you know, they took it to Ekron and, and, uh, the people of Ekron said, what do you want to do? Kill us with hemorrhoids too, you know? <laughs> and so they said, we got, we, we can't have this ark here. So they turned around and, and, uh, 
I said, what are we going to do? So they got their soothsayers together, and they said, well, don't send it back empty. We'll take some, some oxen who are uh, milk cows, which just had uh, calves, and they're milking their calves. And these uh, particular milk cows uh, certainly would not want to leave their calves. And so they said, well, take these. It's very, uh, very unusual if they'll walk straight into Israel. But if they do, we know it's a miracle. But don't send the cart empty. Make some golden hemorrhoids and put the golden hemorrhoids in the cart and with some golden mice. Now, how they knew what a golden, what a hemorrhoid looked like, I mean, I don't know, unless you're in the medical field. I don't know what a hemorrhoid looks like. Do you? It would take a nurse to know what a hemorrhoid looks like. But anyway, they make these golden hemorrhoids and they make these golden mice and they send them and that cow goes, or those cows go straight into Israel and go to a place called Beth Shemesh. And so the ark abides there. Well, the curious citizens of that city looked into the ark and God struck them dead. And so they said, we can't have this. And so there were uh, a city of priests was Kirjath Jerem, where Obed-Edom was from, by the way. And they took the cart to Kirjath Jerem and there it abode until the days of uh, when David uh, wanted to, well, actually, then it went, uh, yeah, it was there and abode there until the days of uh, Saul, I believe. And then I think Saul took it to Gibeah or Gibeon. I'm not sure. But anyway, David brought it up to Jerusalem. He tried, and you remember Peruza, uh touched the ark and then uh, I don't think any of that history is in our chart. But anyway, Uzzah touched the ark and then God struck him dead. And then finally, when it went to, to uh, I believe, Obed-Edom. See, it's not in this chart, but Obed-Edom took it aside when they were carrying the ark because Obed-Edom was... From uh, um, he was from this area, I believe he was from Kerjath Jerem, and uh, when God, when David saw that God blessed Obed Edom, then he realized that God would be pleased and God would bless if he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And by the way, how did God bless Obed Edom? He had seventy sons. You know, isn't it interesting that what God considers a blessing and what those people of Israel consider a blessing, today we consider a curse. Interesting, people consider a curse to have a lot of children. You know, that's sad. But God says it's a blessing. Blessed is the man that what? Hath his quiver full. All right. So anyway, that's the history of the ark. And in the days of David, David sought to bring the ark to Jerusalem from Kerith 
Jerem, Kirjath Jerem, but the, the matter of Uzzah, it was diverted to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, where it abode for three months and then was brought to Jerusalem. So here we have the tabernacle was set up at Bethany, from Bethany to Shiloh, from Shiloh, uh, or was set up at Bethany, and then Saul brought it near to Gibeon to the priestly town of Nob. After he killed the priest there, it was brought to Gibeon. And now <clears throat> Solomon brings his offerings to the tabernacle at Gibeon. Now the tabernacle, now that was the ark. We gave the history of the ark. But the history of the tabernacle was it was set up at Bethany. Then it went to Shiloh. Then it went to the priestly town of Nob. And then Saul brought it to Gibeon. And it remained in Gibeon until the days, and here's Gibeon up here in, in, in the map uh, where my cursor is. I gotta find some, some kind of a app so my cursor's bigger on these maps. Anyway, here's Gibeon. And then from Gibeon, in the days of Solomon, we're gonna read where Solomon, when he builds the temple, he brings the Ark of the Covenant is already in Jerusalem under a tent. Of course, when it was under a tent, David said, why is the Ark of the Covenant under a tent? I live in a house. And, you know, I think it's always good to think that way. In other words, um, I remember years ago, I preached a message about, you know, how we ought to treat God's house better than our house, right? And, uh, you know, if you saw something that was broken in your house, uh, how long would you let it go? But we see things broken in God's house all the time. We ignore them, right? And, you know, David said, it's not right that I'm living in this beautiful house, but the Ark of the Covenant is under a tent. Now, he was thinking right. And God said, you're thinking right, David. However, I can't let you build me a temple, but your son will build me a temple. All right, and uh, now today there is interesting that there's no brazen altar. There's no Ark of the Covenant to seek after. And, uh, but yet the children of Israel, uh, Israel to this day, Jews to this day, make excuses why they don't have offerings and sacrifices. Well, the answer is very simple. Jesus Christ uh, tore down the middle wall partition so there is direct access to God through Jesus Christ. There is no need for offerings today. Jesus was that final offering. We see that the worship of the Lord back then was some, somewhat convoluted because of the history of the failures of the nation. And in the days of Solomon, the nation was able to put everything in one place to consolidate the worship of the holy and holies and the brazen altar and put everything in its place. And so now that's what we're going to read. Okay, let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask 
what I shall give thee. And, uh, and Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, um, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before the people, for who can judge this people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, because it was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor life of thine enemies, neither hast thou asked long life, but has asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. Okay, so here we, here we read that God appears to Solomon in a dream and asks him what he would request, what he asked for. And of course, what did he pray for? Wisdom and knowledge. And now you think about this. With all that wisdom and knowledge, when the world ever got in his brain to marry a thousand wives. That to me was not very wise. <laughs> you know, that goes to show that people could be smart. People could have wisdom, but their flesh could direct them in the wrong way. Amen? That doesn't mean they're going to live right. God is pleased with Solomon's requests because he asked wisdom and knowledge uh, rather than honor, riches, and glory, because he wanted to rule the people of Israel properly, and he did. He was a genius when it came to administration. Nobody could have kept, hardly anybody could have ever kept that kingdom together like he did. In fact, when Rehoboam became king, remember the people said, lighten the load. Because your father had one building project after another building project after another building project, you know, reminds me of me when I first came to the church. I'd go downstairs, sit down with some of the guys. they look at me and say, what now, pastor? <laughs> In other words, what are we going to do now? What's next? <laughs> well, that was Solomon, man. He was building, building, doing this, doing that, doing this. And, and, uh, but the Lord was pleased with his request. What would have been a greater request was that if he would have said, Lord, help me to walk in my heart perfectly before you and in obedience to your law and commandments. This he failed to do because he let his wives influence him the wrong way. And But I think he repented of that when he got older because he wrote in the end of his life, he wrote a book called the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that book, he mused over his life and he admitted, he gave himself to wine, women, and song. And you know what he said? I found it vain. I gave myself over to pleasure, and I found it vain. And so in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, what does he conclude? 
Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us what? Fear God and what? Keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Amen? Amen. So it's been suggested that Solomon repented of the errors of his way, ways in the book of Ecclesiastes. By the way, so did Manasseh. Right? But he could not undo all the errors of his life. There's some things you do in life that you got to suffer for and other people got to suffer for because of your error or because of the way you lived. And, uh, you know, this is why I see so often, uh, you know, I tell people, get saved. Get saved at an early age. The best thing to do. You know, I was talking to Brother Bob DeWitt. He got saved when he was 15 years old, you know. And you know why he's being so greatly used of the Lord today? When he was 15 years old, or I think he was 13 he got saved. When he was 15 years old, he dedicated himself to, to, to the ministry of the Lord to preach. And he was in public school and he had a Bible club in public school. And he was winning people to Christ when he was in public school. He told me a story about how in his Bible class or Bible club, they had 60, 60 different students after school meeting for Bible study. So he goes in to the Bible study and he tells his fellow students, we're going we're, we're to have an evangelistic campaign. And they all looked at him like, what's that? He said, well, we're going to bring an evangelist in and we're going to uh, bring and put flyers out and see if we get people to come in, a youth rally here in the gymnasium. And we're going to have a campaign. And we're going to have a, a revival campaign. And they all looked at him like he was crazy. So he called some big name evangelists. And he didn't know what he was doing. He's 15 years old, called the big name evangelists. And you know, they had 11,000 people attend that campaign and he's a 15-year-old kid. 15-year-old kid. Now, you know what I was doing when I was 15? I was not having any evangelistic campaigns. You know? I mean, I needed to be evangelized. <laughs> You know, and that's why I believe today God's using. And you'll find that when people give their heart to the Lord at an early age, God greatly uses them. Amen? Amen? Amen. Adil was saying his, his son just, he's how old, 11? Turn 11, just dedicated himself to preach. Amen? We need Amen. preachers. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. If we hear stories like that about him. Mm. In other words, get on fire for God when you're young. No wonder he's changing the continents for the Lord. Amen? And uh, you see, uh, and I see this so often, when people get saved at a later age and their kids are already grown, that often the mistakes they made can't be undone with their children. And it's very hard to see those kids really dedicate their lives to the Lord because, you know, they weren't trained up as children to serve God, you know. Give your heart to the Lord at an early age, amen. Yes. The Bible says that Solomon, uh, 
was greatly, God fulfilled his promises to Solomon. Uh, Look at verses 13 through 17. Time flies here when I get off course. Then Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was at Gibeon to Jerusalem and from the tabernacle of the congregation over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. He placed in chariot cities in the king, uh, with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones and cedar trees made he as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought up out of Egypt, linen yarn, and king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And he fetched up and brought forth out of uh, Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 450. So brought they out horses to all the kings and Hittites for the kings of Syria by their means. Here we read about the tremendous wealth and entrepreneurship of Solomon where he was in business of selling chariots and horses. By the way, he wasn't supposed to do that because where you had to get the chariots and horses was down in Egypt and God did not want his people to go back down to Egypt. And he purposely told them, don't multiply horses. Well, he said in the same sentence where he said, don't multiply horses, he said, don't multiply wives. You know, that's sad. He made cedars like sycamore trees. He made silver and gold like stones. Uh, Therefore, uh, he prospered, was wealthier than any other king, became the most prosperous king. In fact, in his day, there was nobody like him. He was uh, in wisdom and in knowledge and in uh, wealth. Uh, Solomon excelled them all. All right, we're going to have to let off here. We'll pick this up Wednesday, Lord willing. All right, let's close in prayer. We'll stretch for a few minutes before the service. Lord, bless uh, each of us as we seek to serve you. Bless our study of the Word of God as we go through the Bible, verse by verse, throughout the whole Bible. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Give us enlightenment. Give us knowledge and instruction and righteousness that we might be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a break before the morning service.